Welcome to the Go Forth and Golf Podcast, where you can listen to everything related to the game of golf. Golf tips to help you improve your golf game, entertaining interviews, discussions about the latest in golf equipment, and so much more. Now, here is your host, PGA professional, Steve Goforth. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 14. I am your host, Steve Goforth, PGA professional at Willow Creek Golf Club and owner of Goforth Golf Instruction. Got a great episode for you today. I'm going to dive into some news and notes. I'm going to talk about the RNA and the USGA's proposed rules change when it comes to golf equipment, give you my opinion on that, and also let you hear Rory's opinion on that as well. And I'm also going to talk about that situation that came up with the rules in regards to Patrick Reed at the Farmers Insurance Open, give you my take on that particular ruling, how that can affect you, how you can learn from that in case you get in a situation like he did on the golf course. And have you ever dealt with consistency issues? I think we all have, right? We're trying to hit a fairway. We're trying to hit a green in regulation, but you know what? We just seem to have a hard time doing that. I'm going to give you some really good tips in this episode on balance and tempo, two things that are absolutely critical in a golf swing if you want to improve your consistency. Consistency is what we're all after, and I highly suggest you tune in to this particular part of the episode so that it can help you hit those fairways and hit those greens in regulation. Without further ado, let's jump right into episode number 14. Let's tee it up. Oh, he got all of that one. In this segment, I have a couple of things I wanted to talk about. Number one is the proposed rules of golf change when it comes to equipment. The USGA and the RNA are talking about the possibility of limiting the amount of ball flight you get from a, or distance you get out of a golf ball, and maybe some other equipment restrictions that will make things harder on your touring professionals or your high-level amateurs. So I'm going to talk about that, give my take on the situation, and also be able to let you hear what Rory's take was on that situation. So if you haven't heard what Rory had to say about it, you want to tune into this. And I'm also going to talk about the rules situation that happened with Patrick Reed. And I'm also going to talk about how you can handle that situation if you're playing in a golf tournament so you don't end up with controversy around you like Patrick Reed did. So let's jump right into that first topic. Threes go first. First and foremost, let's talk about that debate that's going on about how far the golf pros are hitting the golf ball. The RNA and the USGA have joined forces and said, all right, we may need to do something about how far these touring pros are hitting the golf ball. They're starting to make golf courses obsolete, some of the historic golf courses obsolete, and uh, doesn't seem like things are as much of a challenge to them anymore. So how can we make things more challenging for touring pros? How can we make things more challenging for those out there that are much better than the average Joe? Well, let's reduce the amount of distance they get out of their golf ball. That would be a way. I'll get into my opinion about it here a little bit later. Rory came out and made his comments on the situation in a recent interview, and he didn't hold back. He gave his opinions on what he thought about the situation. Let's hear what he has to say right now. I feel the RNA and the USGA are looking at golf through a tiny, narrow little lens that pertains to 0.1% of golfers. Yes, of course the ball goes a long way with top-level professionals and 
top level amateurs and, and the guys that sort of make their living playing this game. But 99.9% of golfers don't do that. And they, they don't want the ball to go shorter. They don't, they, you, we, they need help getting the ball in the air for going further. I mean, golf has had an unbelievable boom in 2020. I mean, it's been like, this pandemic has been so good for golf. And the fact that they're looking at the wrong thing, they spent millions of dollars doing this distance insights report, which I think is, it's not going to change the game at all. You know, man, they might put new regulations on manufacturers. Manufacturers are going to find a way to get around them. That's just, that's how good they are. So those millions of dollars that were spent in the distance insights report should, should have been put back into the grassroots of the game because golf is experiencing a boom. So we need more younger people in the game. We need more minorities in the game. That is... That's how we keep the game going for the next hundred years, not by looking at the ball and looking at the driver. And that's my whole thing with it. I think it, and I'm probably gonna get in trouble for saying this, it reeks of self-importance. And that sort of, that's not, yes, they're the gatekeepers of the game, and they're, but, but their job is to, yes, make sure that the game thrives in a hundred years time, and this is not the way to do it. The way, the, the, the way to do it is by getting more people into the game, by, by, by making it more, by making golf more approachable. And if you're just piling and piling rules on the people the entire time, that doesn't make it approachable. What Rory's saying makes a lot of sense. I mean, and I agree with a lot of things he's saying. From the side of the RNA and the USGA, their concern is that no other sport has to change their arena to fit the athletes. You don't see... Baseball stadiums making their outfield deeper. You don't see football stadiums making their field longer. You don't see NBA courts making their courts bigger or their rims higher. So why should golf continue to do that? You're seeing golf courses having to increase the difficulty of the course, or whether it be by length or design, which, of course, is going to cost a lot more money, to go into this redesign of these golf courses. Also, their argument is that the distance is taking away the emphasis on other parts of the game. And they're trying to just tackle this situation now so it's not having to be addressed years down the road. Every generation of golfers feel as though they need to hit the ball further and further than the previous generation. But there are other aspects of the game that are just as important. Feel, short game, all those things. So... They feel like the emphasis needs to go back there a little bit more than it does with distance. I totally get that. I don't see, I see both sides of the railroad tracks here. One of the solutions or recommendations to this issue would be to bifurcate the industry. And what does that mean? Well, if you bifurcate, you're making two sets of rules for amateurs and professionals. That's kind of the same way professional baseball players use a wooden bat, but in the college ranks, they let them use metal bats. Real similar there. So that would mean that all amateurs, like most golfers out there, 98% of them, if not more, would use whatever golf ball they wanted to. But once you make it to the pro level, you're restricted on what type of golf ball you can use or maybe even other restrictions when it comes to golf equipment. Now, some would say, you know what? Well, I like the game of golf because I can use the same thing that Rory's using. And he's using the same thing I'm using. That's so cool. And there's people out there that love to see these guys bombing. They want to see them hit the ball further than what they're doing, not the same distance as what they're hitting. And there needs to be, that's what makes golf so great because 
we can play on the same fields that they're playing on. We can't go to Wrigley Field and play a game. We can't go to Lambeau Field and play a game of football. But we can go to TPC Sawgrass and play around a golf where the pros are. So that's kind of what makes the game unique, right? A lot of the amateur golfers love the fact that they're using the same equipment as the pros. And is this going to affect the buy-in from you, the amateur golfer, if you feel that you can no longer relate to the stars and what they're playing to or what they're playing with? There's also the argument that the fans want to see pros hit it far. Like they like watching DJ and DeChambeau hit it 300 yards plus, And it's far more entertaining than them hitting it 250. If you take these restrictions and put them on pro golfers and they're not playing the same equipment as yourself, then that kind of takes away the uniqueness of the game. Those that are against bifurcation argue that it would be a disadvantage to like an aspiring amateur who wants to turn pro. Do they take a risk of using a pro ball early? but then they're risking not performing as well as they could on the amateur stage, or they wait until they turn pro and then they have to take some time to adjust to the new golf ball. That could certainly result in how successful players are early on when they break onto the, to the pro tour. For example, Matthew Wolf and Colin Marikawa, you know, they've had instant success, you know, in 2019, whenever they come on tour and you may not see that as much with a rookie and it's going to take him time to adjust to that new, new golf ball. So let's go back to what I was mentioning earlier with the USGA and the RNA. They've been doing this distance research for quite some time now and they want to see how it's going to affect the game. Earlier last year, they kind of concluded that it was a factor, but it, you know they didn't propose enforcing any changes, but they just wanted to look into it. You fast forward to today, and they're asking for research from particular manufacturers to help them mitigate continuing distance increase. So what are those things? What are they looking into? So basically, they're researching four potential changes. Number one, changing the way manufacturers test golf equipment. The second one would be changing the current specifications of golf equipment. The third one is just limiting the maximum length of golf clubs to 46 inches. So no more 48 inch drivers for you, DeChambeau. And the fourth one would be just letting committees that are conducting competitions implement specific equipment standards that could possibly result in shorter hitting distances. That one right there kind of concerns me because what's to say that the RNA couldn't just potentially implement a local rule for the Open Championship saying that you can only use certain types of equipment or they say you can't use this particular driver, you got to use this kind. I don't know, that one kind of bothers me a little bit, but we'll see what happens on that. The next question that I get is when could this possibly be going into effect? I don't see anything happening anytime soon. They're still in the phase of compiling information and getting data from different manufacturers, like I mentioned earlier. I don't see anything going into effect until next year at the very earliest. So when we relate this back to you, the golfer, I don't see anything happening that will potentially limit anything in regards to you. It could just mean that maybe you're not allowed to use a 48-inch driver in the future, and then the way your golf equipment is tested could change. Other than that, I don't see it affecting you very much at all. It's really the pro golfers we're talking about here, the high-level amateur golfers 
that we're talking about. Do you agree with this? Do you think there should be a change between your professional golfers or high-level amateurs and then your regular novice golfers? Should they bifurcate and make one set of rules for one and one set of rules for another? Should they do anything at all? I'm kind of on the fence on the situation, to be honest with you. I think, uh, again, like I said earlier, I see both sides. I see both arguments, and they're both tremendously good arguments. You shouldn't make any change at all. Don't worry about it. You need to worry about what Rory said in growing the game of golf, taking all of our resources and put it in to how can we grow the game more, not restricting how far a golf ball goes. And then I see the other argument as to, hey, wait a minute, distance is getting out of hand. Golf courses don't know what to do anymore. We need to dial this back and make it less of a concern and make it more about other aspects of the game. I'm anxious to hear your opinion about it. Feel free to give me a call. Feel free to hit me up on social media. Shoot me an email. Remember, sgoforth at pga.com. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I would love to hear from you and love to hear your opinion. Start a discussion about this and see what other people have to say about it as well. It's a very interesting topic. We'll see where it goes. We'll see what changes go into place. And I'm sure I'll be talking about this again in the future. I've gotten the question lately about the ruling that went down with Patrick Reed at the Farmers Insurance Open a couple of weeks ago. And I've heard some people say that it was handled all wrong. And some are just asking, hey, what happens in a situation like this? Did he do this right? What do I do in a situation like that? So I thought I'd talk about that a little bit and try to shed some light on and explain that so that maybe you would know how to handle the situation. And then also talk about how it was handled with Patrick Reed. Did he do it correctly? Did he do it incorrectly? Let's talk about that. First and foremost, let's paint the scenario here. If you weren't aware of what happened on the par 4 10th hole at the south course at Torrey Pines, Patrick hit his second shot from a bunker, and it was shortened to the left of the green. And Reed said that his ball was embedded upon impact, and the CBS broadcast clearly showed that it did bounce when it hit. So he walks up and he asks a volunteer if it bounced. And I'm going to let you hear this audio of him asking that volunteer, and then the volunteer's answer to that as well as the rest of the conversation. He announces it to his playing competitors. He then calls over the official and the conversation that he had with that official. On the other side of this audio, I'll come back. I'll give you my take on the situation and then how you can handle this if you're ever in this situation on the golf course. Got a foot behind my flag. Did it bounce? Uh, no, I didn't see it bounce. Okay. And Nick, the... Talk about the lift clean in place, though, that's in effect oh, again, special. even today on a sunny day, Nick. Yeah, it's got huge help. They were unable to get the mowers onto the, the fairways last night or this morning. They've had four, four plus inches of rain, inch and a half yesterday. So um, that's why they added another day of lift clean in place. So let me bring Ken, Ken can bring you in right away. <laughs> Tell me what Patrick's able to do with this situation right here he is just determining if his ball is embedded or not so he's uh he's looking to see if it's actually below the sur surface of the ground sometimes in this deep rough it'll nest and it seems like that it's uh, embedded but he'll get clarity here from uh from a rule official well it looks like he's already picked the ball up ken because there there's the golf ball was that it was that his original spot no it looks looks like that that's the uh he just put it aside yeah 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 
to hey, get him in the winner's circle. They said it didn't bounce, and so I checked it, and I believe it broke ground, but I'm going to let you make that call. Right here. What are you talking about? Embedded ball. Oh, where's your feels ball? Feels like, well, I, 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 since I picked it up to check, I mean, it seems like it broke ground, but I want you to double check. They said it didn't, didn't bounce. Well, you mind if I stick my finger yeah, in there? That'd be the only way you'd be able to check, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I feel a lip on it. So. See? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I thought so, you but I just wanted lip. to double check. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So does that T go, where does that T go? You on get it? one club link from that hole. From the hole. Used to be close as you could. Right. Now it's one foot. Okay. So you can clean that now. Yeah. Just wanted to put that. Sure. It's got to stay in that one. Okay. Right. It's Brad Fable on scene. Kenny sounded surprised that Patrick had gone ahead and already picked up the golf ball. Yeah, he kind of got ahead of himself a little bit there, but, you know, he was trying to determine if the ball was below the surface of the ground, and Brad quickly identified the lip that he's looking for to show that the ball was actually nestled in the ground. I mean, you got enough green to work with. Yeah, this also, I feel like, this one I also feel like gives us a better angle. If I go that way, it's more cross. I'm guessing Frank, that ball may, with the way that grass is leaning, it might hop forward and he's going to get a two drops to get a chance to play some. Yeah, I would agree. Okay. Yeah, you're right, Nick, with the new rule and that. But I just want to ask Ken, just for my own edification here. Ken, would, would you advise most people just to mark the ball and wait for the official before they pick it up? Yeah, that's always the best practice, uh, Frank, is that you want to leave the ball in place, mark it, and then wait for the official, just because it, it gets rid of any questionable, you know, where was it, what was the ball look like, and so the best thing to do is just wait. So I think that's where the controversy comes in here. He picked up the ball, he marked the ball, he picked it up, he tried to determine it himself before the rules official came over there. But let me explain that for a second. What he did is allowed under Rule 16.4. That rule states... If you reasonably believe that your ball lies in a condition where free relief is allowed under the rules, but you cannot decide that without lifting your ball, you may mark the spot and lift the ball to see if relief is allowed. And that's what he did here. Some people say, well, he's jumping the gun. He should have waited for the rules official to come over. Patrick Reed stated that he was trying to maintain a good pace of play and further the process along. And that's why he went ahead and marked it and looked at it. Clearly, you heard... The expert that they were consulting there state that it's always best to wait for a rules official to come over. I don't think either situation is wrong here. I think what Patrick Reed did was fully under the rules of golf. And then some would say, yeah, you know what? He didn't do anything wrong. He's just trying to get things going. I would have done the same thing if I were him. And then some people are like, well, you know what? He shouldn't have touched it. I think what kind of happened here, and this is my opinion, the statement that Nick Faldo said, well, it looks like he's already picked it up. And then people are like, oh, well, he did. He did pick it up. Was he supposed to do that? I think if Faldo would not have said that, I don't think this would have been as big of a deal. And I'm not trying to say that Faldo was trying to start something or, or create controversy. He was just saying what he saw. But you can look at this from either side, and I don't think either way is wrong. Whether you mark it, pick it up, and then consult a rules official or bring a rules official before you even touch the thing, Either way, I think it's okay here, but I think because it was Patrick Reed 
And as you know, Patrick Reed has had some controversy surrounding him when it comes to the rules of golf. This got even more amplified. So the question is, what do you do in this situation if you're out on the golf course, or if you're playing in your local competitive tournament, maybe it's your club championship, your member, member, whatever the case may be, how do you handle this situation? I think if you believe that golf ball is plugged, first of all, call over your playing competitors that are in your group. Let them look at the golf ball. If it's clear that the ball is embedded due to the hole in the ground that it's created or it's sitting in or the lip around the golf ball, then you want to take relief. You can't go wrong by playing two golf balls. Play a second ball. You play the ball as it lies, and then you drop another, and then play that one, and then consult with a rules official or the tournament committee when you come in and say, hey, which one of these count? That furthers the play along. That kind of maintains that pace of play. So in my opinion, I don't think that Patrick Reed did anything wrong in this situation. I think it can just be debated on how he went about it. But even though he went about it the way he did, it was not wrong. And he did not break the rules of golf clearly. It's a matter of opinion of whether or not he should have marked it or whether or not he should have called a rules official over before he did anything to it. So I hope that sheds some light on this situation for you. The embedded ball rule, I encourage you to look that up in the rules of golf. Familiarize yourself with that. They did make some changes on that, on where the embedded ball rule is allowed. It used to be only in the fairway. Now it's through the green, which could be in the rough as well. But you want to familiarize yourself with that. Go back and listen to my five-part series and my podcast on the rules of golf. Maybe that can answer some other rules questions that you may have outside of this one. But again, I hope this sheds some light on it for you. It maybe makes you more comfortable with the situation of embedded ball. And that's what we learn from, right? We take situations like this. How do we become better at it? And some people may not even thought about this particular rule until it happened to Patrick Reese. It's maybe a good thing that it did happen. And the way it happened, a little bit of controversy that surrounded it because it does shed light on that particular rule and the rules of golf in general. So again, I don't think anything was done wrong here. It's a matter of opinion on how it could have been handled, but everything fell in line with the rules of golf. There you go. Good shot. It's about time. It is about time. I mean, I just couldn't get the ball in the hole. I wanted to, but I just couldn't do it. If you want to take control of your health and feel so much better, I encourage you to check out Pure on Maine. They have two locations on Main Street in downtown Greenville, across from the Hyatt, and another location on Cannon Street in beautiful downtown Greer. Pure on Main provides you with essential services and products, allowing you to live a healthier, more fulfilling life. Pure on Main is one of the most exclusive and unique health and wellness centers in the upstate. They've been nominated as one of Greenville's best wellness centers for five consecutive years. Betsy and her staff provide services such as colon hydrotherapy, massage therapy, ionic foot detox, and wellness consulting. They also have a store filled with beneficial items for your body and soul. Pure on Main is dedicated to helping and serving their community. Please give them a call and let them recommend the best products to help keep you and your family safe during these challenging times. I get all of my wellness supplements from them and I feel amazing. Visit their website at pureonmain.com. Again, that's pureonmain.com, where you can also purchase their phenomenal products to be shipped to you for free. Yeah, you heard me right. Free, right to your door. Or you can pick them up at their downtown Greenville or Greer locations. So what are you waiting for? Start living healthier and pure with the help of Pure On Main. You won't regret it.
Before we move forward to the next segment, I want to remind you to go follow me on social media. On Facebook, it's Go Forth Golf Instruction. Twitter, it's Go Forth Golf. You can also follow me on Instagram. It's sgoforth underscore PGA. And visit my website at goforthgolfinstruction.com. On there, you can read about my teaching philosophy. Reach out to me for scheduling a lesson. You can also see my rates and what I'm charging right now for golf lessons. Would love to work with you. Would love to improve your game and get the most out of your game as we possibly can. If I'm entertaining you with this podcast, I ask that you please go out and tell others about it. Spread the word. That word of mouth advertising helps so much. Help us grow our community and help me to reach more golfers and help them with their game and just grow the game of golf. That's what I want to do here. That's the whole purpose of this podcast is to grow the game of golf, to inspire you as much as possible, to educate you, and of course, to entertain you. So please go out and tell more people about it. Share it with the foursome you play with. Share it with your golf group. Share it on social media. Tag me in it. That would be awesome as well. And if you think I deserve it, go out and give me that five-star rating on Apple. If you're listening on the Apple platform, that just puts more eyes on this podcast, helps me to reach more and more people. Thank you very much, as always, for pushing that play button. You didn't have to do it, but you did. And I want to thank you for dedicating your time to this podcast. Your support and your dedication to this podcast is appreciated more than words can possibly describe to you right now. Thank you so very much. So let's jump into the next segment. Well, we're waiting. I want to talk to you about how to improve your balance and your tempo. I cannot explain enough the importance of balance and tempo in your golf swing. Without the two, and they go hand in hand, without the two of these elements, you will not have a consistent, productive, and successful golf swing. So that's why I really want to talk to you about it and explain to you how you can achieve better balance and better tempo. And it's going to come in three different areas that I'm going to expand upon. Number one, your setup, how you set up to the golf ball can encourage better balance, better tempo. The actual swing itself and what you need to think about during that swing while you're out there practicing on the range or practicing at home. And then drills that you can do to ensure that you develop good balance and good tempo. I've found that most golfers don't think a lot about balance and tempo. They don't think about it enough. They're thinking about striking the golf ball. They're thinking about how far they're going to hit it off the tee. You're thinking about hitting greens in regulation, making more putts. And so tempo and balance tends to go out the window because other things precede it. In order for you to lower your golf scores, having these two elements in your golf swing is essential, critical, however you want to look at it. It has to happen in order for you to achieve the consistency you're looking for and achieve those lower scores that you desire. Just like any previous podcast, I encourage you to take notes. Pull out a notepad, start making notes, pull out your phone, pull out your tablet, whatever it is. Making notes can really help you to retain that information. You want to be able to go back and tell this to someone else as if you're the teacher. And when you can do that, that means you got a full grasp on the material that you have just learned. So let's jump into how to improve your balance and your tempo in your golf swing. Well, we're waiting. Let's start with the setup. First and foremost, you need to make sure that the weight is evenly distributed between your right and your left foot at setup. 
I see some golfers that have too much weight on their back foot or too much weight on their front foot. Front foot would be the one closest to the target. It's also very important to make sure that the weight is on the balls of your feet, not on your heels, which I see a lot, or it should never be out on the toes too much. Think of it like this. If you've played any other sport or if you've seen any other sport, an athletic position is the balls of the feet. For example, if you have a quarterback and he's stepping up under center to take a snap, the weight's going to be on the balls of his feet so he can take that ball drop back, have his feet under him, feel balanced so he can make a rotational move to throw the ball to the receiver. Same thing with a shortstop. Before he fields a ball, the weight's always on the balls of his feet so he can scoop that ball up, turn, throw the guy out at first. A basketball player, if he's playing defense, waiting on his opponent to come down the court, the weight's on the balls of his feet so that he can make a move either left or to the right, whichever way his opponent is going with that basketball to make the move or to make the play that he needs to make so same thing here in golf we're getting ready to make an athletic move we're going to make a rotational movement with our body so in order for us to be balanced that weight has to be evenly distributed and it has to be on the balls of your feet next you want to make sure that your grip pressure is light if you have any tension in your hands that tension is going to move from the hands to the forearms to the upper arms to the shoulders to the neck and to the back if all of that is tight It's going to prevent you from creating that smooth and controlled golf swing. So always want to make sure that your grip pressure is light. I've mentioned this in a past podcast on a grip scale from 1 to 10, 1 being extremely light, 10 being very tight. You want to start out around a 3. I wouldn't exceed 5 for sure. So loose grip pressure, that's going to really assist with the balance and the tempo. Also, take some deep breaths before you swing. That can also help you a lot whether that be during your pre-shot routine or over the golf ball at a dress. When you're taking those deep breaths, that's your body telling your brain that everything's okay down here. Relax. I got this. Deep breaths will help calm you and just help you to be more rhythmic. I don't think people realize how much they hold their breath, especially when they're nervous or they're scared or they're frustrated. Breathing will really help you relax and achieve that balance and tempo that we're looking for. And lastly, you want to make sure you focus on positive shots. See the shot in your mind that you want to hit. The best athletes in the world see the movements they want to make before they do it. The Super Bowl just occurred, and I can guarantee you before Tom Brady went out there on the field to throw touchdowns, he envisioned himself doing so. Before he took the snap, he envisioned the route that the receiver was going to run, He saw himself throwing it, and he saw the receiver catching it. And same thing on the other end. The receiver sees the ball coming into his hands before it's even thrown to him. So that positive mindset, that positive image in your mind can go a long way. If you played baseball, a pitcher is going to see himself throwing that strike. He's going to see himself throwing that ball to the catcher's mitt. And then a batter is going to see himself blasting that baseball over the center field wall. The best golfers in the world can see that shot before they hit the shot. It gives them a better chance of performing it. So you always want to have positive image in your mind before you swing the golf club. And that sounds crazy. You may be saying, well, what in the world does seeing a positive shot have to do with my balance and my tempo? Well, because if you see a bad shot, guess what? You're going to rush. And if you rush... Your tempo gets off, you're going to be off balance, and then you're also going to hit the shot wherever it is you're seeing it go, whether it be in the woods or whether it be in the water, whether it be in the bunker. You can never go wrong with positivity. You can never go wrong with 
seeing something positive or seeing the shot you want to hit. Jack Nicholas used to do it all the time. He would play a movie in his head before he hit the golf shot. He'd see it before he hit it. And again, that just brings positivity to your mind, which therefore will help you relax, will therefore translate to a smoother, controlled tempo. Next, I'm going to talk about some swing tips that's going to help you achieve the balance and the tempo that we desire. Having a good tempo and balance throughout the swing is going to start with your takeaway. Now, if you take the club back too fast or too jerky, then you're going to tell your entire golf swing to be that way. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with having a fast swing back and through if you can control it and if you can be consistent with it. But I will say having a more methodical and controlled takeaway will promote a little bit more consistency. Now, you don't want it to be too slow because it can contribute to an impatient or a rush downswing. And then that's when that club wants to get a little bit outside the swing plane if you start rushing it. A fantastic tip to think about or a mindset to think about is during your swing, you want your backswing and your downswing to be a three to one ratio. What that means is if you take three seconds to make a backswing, it should take you one second to make your downswing. Or if it takes you 0.6 seconds, it should take you 0.2 seconds to make a downswing. Or 0.9 seconds on a backswing should take 0.3 seconds. That's a lot of math, too much to think about. But you get the point. You want it to be a 3 to 1 ratio between your backswing and your downswing. You can count it out loud to yourself. You want to do it like this. 1, 2, 3, 1. Saying it out loud to yourself or to yourself silently when you're on the golf course, you don't disturb people, I don't think you're crazy, will really help you. So again, one, two, three, one. And just make sure that you pronounce that one a little bit faster with some more assertiveness so that you make sure that you're accelerating through the golf ball. This also gives you a chance to complete your backswing before you rush into the downswing. I've used this drill with a lot of students lately and it's helped them a lot. Driver or wedge, it didn't matter. I had one student that was rushing their downswing a little bit with the wedges, and therefore the body was popping up. They could thin it, or sometimes the body would go downward, and they could hit it a little bit heavier. When they thought about that one, two, three, one golf swing, then it became more rhythmic, and they started improving the contact, and it became more consistent. Another way to look at this is picture your swing motion like pouring water from a pitcher of glass into a glass. Now, if you pour the water slowly, the water is going to kind of dribble and make a mess, and you're going to possibly miss that glass you're trying to pour it into. If you pour it too quick, you may overshoot the glass, and you may pour the water everywhere. The same thing can be applied to the golf swing. Just like developing the correct pouring motion is the first step to successfully putting the water into the glass, a correct backswing is going to be the first step to the tempo that you're trying to achieve. If your backswing's too slow, it can become a little discombobulated and then you'll lose that smooth transition that's really important to lead into the downswing. And if your backswing's too quick, it will not give the body enough time to shift the weight properly and then you'll not have the proper balance to start that power downswing that you need to have. The next thing you want to think about during the swing is to prevent your body from swaying off of the golf ball. So if it's a right-handed golfer, you're going to be swaying to the right of the golf ball. Left-handed golfer, you're swaying to the left. Rather than rotating on your backswing, this will cause you to get off balance in a hurry. A wonderful drill 
to help you prevent this is the club on chest drill. There's going to be a link in the show notes to go to a video on YouTube that I created. If you've taken lessons from me, I've probably sent this to you. But that club on chest drill will really help assist with body rotation, maintaining a good spine angle, weight shift. There's so many good things that this drill is doing for you. But the biggest thing here is to prevent that sway. The sway is going to cause too much weight shift to go to your back foot. And your back foot could possibly roll to the outside point of the foot, making it really difficult to transition that weight back to your left foot on the downswing, thus causing your balance to be off. It really helps to get your swing on video. You can come to me. I always put my students on video so you can see what's going on. We can evaluate that. I have software I can draw a circle around your head, just making sure you don't move outside of that circle. So do the best you can to prevent swaying off the golf ball to encourage yourself to make a rotational move with the upper body, with the hips, so that you can stay over that ball and deliver that golf club back to the golf ball. A little more consistency, but most importantly, of course, like we're talking about, with more balance and more tempo. Let's jump into the final swing tip I want to give you to help you with this. Swing to your finish position. If you've taken lessons from me, you know I really express this heavily. Get to your finish position and hold it. Hold it for five seconds. If you can swing to your finish position and hold it, that's going to ensure that you're balanced and it's going to ensure that you're swinging at a tempo that's going to let you be balanced. By swinging to your finish position, you're ensuring four critical factors in your golf swing. Number one, swinging to your finish forces you to rotate your body, so body rotation. Swinging to your finish is going to force you to shift your weight to your lead foot or your target side foot, so weight shift. Going to your finish position and holding it is going to ensure you're balanced. And then finally, going to your finish position and holding it will ensure that you're going to swing at a tempo that's going to let you do that. So body rotation, weight shift, balance, and tempo. That's four things. Way too many things to think about in a golf swing. But if you think about going to a finish position, that one single swing thought, you've done all four of those things in the golf swing. Probably one of the most important things you can do when you swing a golf club. If you observe any touring professional or really good amateur, every single swing they make, full swing that they make, they're going to go to that finish position. Ideally, you want to try to hold that for five seconds or until the ball lands. Again, this is going to ensure that you're going to swing at a speed or tempo that's going to allow you to stay balanced at the end of the swing. Fantastic swing tip is something we don't think about a lot. I've seen the most inconsistent swings be off balance at the end. They can't hold it. They're staggering backwards, forwards, or they're flat footed and they're swinging all arms. Going to that finished position also ensures that every bit of your body is involved in that golf swing. Now I'm going to talk about some drills that you can do to help you achieve that balance and tempo in your golf swing. All right, I've told you all this stuff. Now what in the world can you do to make sure this happens? Steve, what kind of drills are you going to give me to make sure that I can be more balanced and I can have better tempo? Well, I'm about to tell you. One thing I like to encourage, and I know this sounds crazy, just hear me out. Close your eyes while you make swings, and this can help you feel your balance. Now, I'm not telling you to hit golf balls that way just yet. Maybe go to the range, go to your yard, go to your garage, and close your eyes and make some golf swings. Start out slow at first. Start by closing your eyes at address. Make your back swing nice and slow and freeze it at the top. 
When you do that, you should feel your weight on the inside part of your right foot. This is for a right-handed golfer. Then you want to make your downswing slowly, and you want to feel your weight shift to your left foot, which is your target side foot. Freeze it at impact, and your weight should have moved to your left foot. Then I want you to continue through to your finish position, and all your weight should be on your left foot. Doing this with your eyes closed can really help you feel your balance. And then speed it up a little bit more. Go faster and faster until you feel like you're at a full speed swing with your eyes closed. And then transition away from your eyes being closed to back being open again. Something about having your eyes closed can just really help you feel the balance a little bit better. Obviously, if you've got a medical condition like vertigo, you may not want to do that. That's okay. Just swing slow. Feel the weight shift to your outside foot. Feel it transition into your left foot or lead foot into your downswing and then slowly swing to your finished position. Another great drill for you is what I mentioned to you earlier. Out on the range, in your yard, or in your garage, count out loud one, two, three on your backswing and then try to count one on your downswing. Remember, it should go something like this. One, two, three, one. One, two, three, one. You can slow that down a little bit if you want to. One, two, three, one. But just again, make sure you're pronouncing that one on your downswing to ensure that acceleration through the golf ball or through the impact zone. And then hold your finish for three to five seconds after you do that. Going back to what I mentioned earlier, if you can hold that finish position for five seconds, you're ensuring all of those things are happening in your swing. Body rotation, weight shift, balance, and tempo. Another great way to implement this into your golf swing is through training aids. I love the Orange Whip. If you're not familiar with Orange Whip, go back to episode four where I interviewed Jim Hackenberg, the owner of Orange Whip, the creator, the inventor of that wonderful product. He talks about all the great things it can do for you, but it's really going to help you produce a flowing, balanced swing, and it also helps in rotation of the body and the arms and then that full extension of the arms. If I have a golfer that's breaking their left arm down at impact or flipping, that I'll put the orange whip in their hand, and all of a sudden they're really extending those arms through the impact zone and extending those arms down the target line, and then the right forearm is kind of rolling over the left forearm. If you're a right-handed golfer, really helping with the release of the club. So the orange whip is a fantastic training aid that you can use to help with balance and tempo. That's one of the key factors of this training aid. In summary, I've given you some setup tips to help you improve your balance and tempo, making sure your weight's distributed evenly and you're on the balls of your feet, light grip pressure, deep breaths, and then focus on positive shots. I've given you some swing tips that's gonna help you with this as well, making sure that you're starting your takeaway nice and smooth, that three to one ratio between backswing and downswing, preventing yourself from swaying off the golf ball and then swinging to your finished position and holding it. Please focus on everything that I've told you today in these tips because I want you to produce the most consistent golf swing possible and I want you to make the most consistent contact with that golf ball possible. And if you follow these tips and you do these drills, I have no doubt that you can achieve this and lower your scores. If you have any questions at all, please feel free to reach out to me. And of course, you can always set up that golf lesson with me. Go to my website at goforthgolfinstruction.com. 
contact me, or you're welcome to reach out to me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and ask me those questions. I'm happy to help you. Good luck to you. I know you got this. You can do it. Go out there and achieve the balance and tempo that you're looking for and improve those scores. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes episode number 14. Thank you, as always, for taking the time to press that play button, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. You didn't have to do it, but you did do it, and I cannot thank you enough. It really means a lot to me that you take time to support my podcast, and if you share that with other people out there in your world, that's even better. So, again, I could sit here and say thank you all day long, and it really would not be enough. Remember, you can always go back and listen to this episode again if you want to go back and take notes on how to improve your balance and then how to improve your tempo. You don't want to forget that. Become a student of the game. Go back and listen to it two, three, or even four times. How many ever times it takes to help you remember that and to understand it, studying it, and again, becoming a student of the game. Don't forget to tell people you know about the podcast and just help me grow my audience. Help us grow this this golfing community that we have here. Your help and consideration on that is tremendously appreciated. The more people you tell, the more ears that'll hear this podcast, the more people that I can help and inspire and educate about this wonderful game of golf. Don't forget about episode number 15 that will drop in two weeks, the first Wednesday of March. In that episode, I'll have as my guest Brandon Becker. Brandon is a TaylorMade representative. We're going to talk everything there is about TaylorMade golf, so you don't want to miss that. And also, I'll give you tips on how to hit your hybrids better. If you're struggling with your hybrids right now, or maybe you're hitting them well, but you want to hit them even better, you don't want to miss this episode. I'm going to talk about how to improve your swing with your hybrids, start hitting more greens, or maybe even hit more fairways with those clubs. Until the next episode, I hope you hit your drives long and straight, hit more greens in regulation, and I hope you drain more putts. And most importantly, have fun. That's what it's all about. Don't forget to do something nice for somebody today. And remember, together, let's go forth to a better golf game. You've been listening to the Go Forth and Golf Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to receive alerts on new episodes. For more information, please follow us on social media at Go Forth Golf Instruction or visit our website at GoForthGolfInstruction.com. Remember, together, let's go forth to a better golf game.